Good morning. Today is March 7th, 2019. I am Jaika, your regular person, reading the daily office from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. I'm very happy to be here this morning. Where I am, it has snowed a little bit during the night, and it's beautiful and white and looks crisp and clean and refreshing. And yes, I still love the winter, even after spending two hours standing outside, literally, um, on a corner (laughs) in front of the cathedral downtown yesterday for ashes to go in 10 degree weather. There is something beautiful about winter and snow. I mean, I love all my seasons, but I am, and I hope nobody who lives in my area is going to be upset with me for this, because I I know many folks are wishing for spring, but I'm kind of happy that we still have some winter in Lent. I know my son is really upset that it's March and it's still winter, because he's in spring rowing season now, yet the canal's frozen solid, or I shouldn't say frozen solid, but frozen over still. And they are still inside and being inside on the rowing machine when you're 13 for another long stint, six days a week is, it's rough. So yes, I do wish that the, 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 um, that the waterways would, would thaw. But for me, um, Lent and winter, um, maybe it's because there's something quiet about the snow. Um, one of my classmates when I was in a training course not too long ago is a big runner and he was talking about how he really likes running when it's snowing because it's so quiet. And I guess Lent is kind of a quiet, introspective time. So maybe that's why I feel like the two things go together. But anyway, on this wintry morning, though it may not be where you are, it is here. I welcome you to the daily office to join with me beginning on page 76 of the Book of Common Prayer. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Continuing with the confession of sin on page 79. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, to set forth his praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. And so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship him, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by his infinite goodness and mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Come, let us adore him. We'll use the Venite on page 82. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Come, let us adore him. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 18. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land, and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous, and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to kill those who walk uprightly. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous person has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will abide forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it is now, was in the beginning, and will be forever. Amen.
Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on earth to be his people, his treasured possession. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is good. Lord your God is God, the faithful God who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and who repays in their own person those who reject him. He does not delay, but repays in their own person those who reject him. Therefore, observe diligently the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances that I am commanding you today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Canticle 8, found on page 85. I will sing to the Lord, for he is lofty and uplifted. The horse and its rider has he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my refuge. The Lord has become my savior. This is my God and I will praise him. The God of my people and I will exalt him. The Lord is a mighty warrior. Yahweh is his name. The chariots of Pharaoh and his army has he hurled into the sea. The finest of those who bear armor have been drowned in the Red Sea. The fathomless deep has overwhelmed them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in might. Your right hand, O Lord, has overthrown the enemy. Who can be compared with you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in renown, and worker of wonders? You stretched forth your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. With your constant love, you led the people you redeemed. With your might, you brought them in safety to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mount of your possession, the resting place that you have made for yourself, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hand has established. The Lord shall reign forever and forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Paul's letter to Titus. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is in accordance with godliness, in the hope of eternal life that God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In due time he revealed his word through the proclamation with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my loyal child in the faith we share, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. I left you behind in Crete for this reason, so that you should put in order what remained to be done, and should appoint elders in every town as I directed you, someone who is blameless, married only once, whose children are believers, not accused of debauchery and not rebellious, for a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. 
He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or addicted to wine or violent or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of goodness, prudent, upright, devout, and self-controlled. He must have a firm grasp of the word that is trustworthy in accordance with the teaching so that he may be able both to preach with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. There are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sordid gain what is not right to teach. It was one of them, their very own prophet, who said, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. That testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may become sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths or to commandments of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their actions. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Canticle 19. O ruler of the universe, Lord God, great deeds are they that you have done, surpassing human understanding. Your ways are ways of righteousness and truth, O king of all the ages. Who can fail to do you homage, Lord, and sing the praises of your name? For you only are the Holy One. All nations will draw near and fall down before you, because your just and holy works have been revealed. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. Verses 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us say together the Apostles' Creed, found on page 96. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We'll use Suffragist Set B, found on page 98. Save your people, Lord, and bless your inheritance. Govern and uphold them, now and always. Day by day we bless you. We praise your name forever. Lord, keep us from all sin today. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy. Lord, show us your love and mercy, for we put our trust in you. And you, Lord, is our hope, and we shall never hope in vain. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now is the time when we pause for personal prayer and we come back together and talk a little bit about the readings from the day. So let's do that now. One of the three (laughs) books that I am reading for Lent, um, if you know me at all, you know that I'm always reading several things at once. Um, I guess I can digress a minute here to say that I am reading as my carry around whenever I have a moment and I'm sitting and waiting or lunchtime reading kind of book. I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening by the Pantsuit Politics podcast. Um, Folks, uh, Sarah Beth Silvers, or I'm sorry, it's, um, oh my goodness. I just mixed their names all together and then totally blanked on it. They are Sarah and Beth. And at the moment, I can't remember which one is Silvers and what the other last name is. So forgive me for that. But I'm reading that one, which is really intriguing because it's a look not only at politics, which has really become important to me in the last few years and something I'm much more focused on than I used to be. And then also it's a look at how to find common ground, how to disagree, um, how to get community and communal work done in disagreement, all of those things. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, then I've got, um, I always have kind of some light nighttime reading and well, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, my kind of light reading right now is the ordinary spaceman. Um, I, 
I love space and was quite disappointed when Jack decided that he did not indeed want to be an astronaut as he had when he was about uh, 10 <laughs> because I no longer got to live vicariously through that. How great would that be to be the mom of an astronaut? But anyway, and um, then I've got books I'm reading for spiritual direction, which I've talked to you guys a little bit about before. And But this year I've I've picked up several Lenten I want to say they're a little bit more than devotionals. And so they are Richard Rohr's Wondrous Encounters, Scripture for Lent, Marcus J. Borg and John Dominic Crossman's The Last Week, What the Gospels Really Teach About Jesus' Final Days in Jerusalem, and The Little Book of Lent, Daily Wisdom from the World's Greatest Spiritual Teachers. So I will at times be sharing some of those things. I'm not sure if I'm going to share Richard Rohr's starter prayer every day, but um, yesterday's starter prayer for Ash Wednesday was, and and I should say here too, Rohr's starter prayers are, um, he doesn't want to feed you the entire prayer, just the beginning. I have found that I'm a little bit backwards in my development. I'm sure I'll come around full circle. Um, My spiritual director always likes to talk about um, spirals of faith. And so I'm sure I will loop back around at another level to contemplative prayer um, or meditative prayer um, such as we think of it. But being raised in the Quaker faith community, times of silence and silent prayer um, were very much what I grew up with. Liturgy is a somewhat new thing to me. And just as I found great creative freedom in form poetry, I also find great spiritual freedom in liturgy. I think that's the best way to say it, and I'm going to kind of leave it there. So I'm I'm moving from a lack of form to a form, and Richard Rohr's invitation to unformed prayer or self-formed prayer, free prayer, it might you might say. <laughs> Um, much in the way that that free verse poetry is without form is by giving these starter lines and then continuing on Um, so I'm going to give you the the starter prayer God give me the desire to desire what you want me to desire that was the starter prayer from Ash Wednesday and so let's let's take that one and, and kind of chew on it for a moment, especially as we begin Lent. And I apologize for not giving it to you yesterday. Uh, perhaps it's a lesson in humility that I started out the Lenten season rather imperfectly and did not get everything done either in the day prior or the first day of Lent, of Ash Wednesday. But I want my goal for this season to be God's goal for me. May my desire be his desire. Oh, I just saw a fox running by the window. That explains some of the tracks in the snow that I've seen in the front yard. 
But so let's, uh, let's think on that one for a little bit. God, give me the desire to desire what you want me to desire. And then let's go through the scriptures a bit. So our reading from Psalm, Psalm 37 was a common theme, I think, over the last few months, which was to trust in the Lord, to do our best to do his work, and he will take care of the rest. That we, and I think this is counterculture, because our culture is kind of geared towards we personally in, are the avengers of wrongs and we should seek out justice for ourselves and yet the message here is that God's justice will be done and I think that the lifting of the responsibility for us to personally wreak justice and vengeance um, because we often mistake those two right is very freeing it it makes room for grace we don't have to make sure that fairness is distributed we can extend much more easily grace both to ourselves and to others and thank god that his justice is is not my justice and what i would seek to Harken back to our Old Testament reading yesterday from Jonah. If Jonah had had his way, all of Nineveh would have been destroyed, right? Thank goodness. Thank goodness that I, I think the other way we hear it say a lot in our Christian culture is that we don't get what we deserve. We get instead what God blesses us with. And I would go further to say that what he has as blessing for us is much more than we can often even conceive of in the moment. So yes, I would much rather leave justice to God and instead seek grace. And that's the message that I get from our psalm reading. All right, we have only a few verses here from Deuteronomy, but I want to hone even further in on a couple of them. So according at least to my commentary, this portion of scripture is like a sermon to the Israelites and this section includes the meaning of Israel's covenantal relationship with God. I'd like to reframe that as applicable to us that that this could be perceived as a sermon directed toward us, you and me as followers of God. And so when we look at it that way, there are a couple things that stand out to me. One of them is in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him and keep his commandments. So covenant loyalty in the NRSV, the word that's used here, and I don't know what the original word was, is translated here's covenant loyalty But in chapter 5, verse 10, the same word is translated as steadfast love. So this to me is another instance of God declaring his, which is really the only true and perfect love that is unchanging and forever. And I would say 
that the second piece of that verse with those who love him and keep his commandments, we could very accurately view that as those who do their best to follow God. We all know that we're imperfect and we fall short all of the time and we won't get into that sermon here. But I think this, at least for me in this season, is a reiteration that if I am vectoring myself, spirit, soul, and body, heart, mind, and will toward God, his love is steadfast and endures forever. His covenant loyalty with me is unchanging. He is not going to renegotiate that. He's not going to redraw the lines. He will remain steadfast. It's very reassuring to me. I hope that it is to you as well. And then I was a little curious about verse 10, so I did some digging on it. And who repays in their own person those who reject him. He does not delay, but repays in their own person those who reject him. The intent here is to remove the edict for um, what I think of as, as scapegoating. Uh, the com- my commentary says it highlights the rejection of vicarious punishment. Instead, the sermon argues for individual retribution as in criminal law while deleting any reference to the transmission of punishment across generations. Again, super reassuring. And here's why for me individually and personally, but I think perhaps for many others, I suffer greatly in my spirit trying to be the perfect mother for my child and thinking that everything that I have done wrong is going to be born out as suffering in him, that he, because of my imperfect choices, started off life at a disadvantage, continues to have and have disadvantages. And basically, I was doing a version of the sins of the parent being visited on the child. So this verse, verse 10 is for me a key to freedom that Jack will not bear out, he will not be punished for anything that I have done. Also, there was a point in my life where I was so severely scapegoated by someone um, in power, in leadership over me. It, It was... It was absolutely brutal, and so I very much have compassion for anyone who bears the transference of punishment. And so reassurance that, as in many places throughout the Bible, God sees and knows. And God's justice does not misplace itself. He does not punish or blame any of us for what others have done. Now, that doesn't discount, I think, communal sin. And I think that there is a lot of work that we as the aggregate need to do. But at the very least, I can be freed in the only system of justice that really matters in the eternal from bearing anyone else's blame. Mine is enough to bear. And as the rest of our readings tell us, 
Christ has already borne that for us. So I guess you could say that the only scapegoat, the only transference of blame was Christ. And so that's already done and dealt with. I hope that in this Lenten season, that is freeing. You know, I I think that traditionally and culturally, we can see Lent as a time of just self-flagellation and self-abuse. And it's not. It's a time of reconciliation. It's a time to allow ourselves to go through with God all that weighs on our spirits, all that comes between us and him. Yes, all of our sins and all of our transgressions, both communally and personally, and deal with them so that we can then be done with that, be fresh for Easter, be really, truly resurrected with Christ in God. So we're basically, yeah, Lent's a time to get rid of all the junk and come to know Jesus even more closely than we do. There should be joy in that. There should be joy in that purging and reconciliation and freedom. I've got a couple of things that I have been hanging on to for years and beating myself up over. And I pray that this Lenten season is the time that we forgive and are forgiven, that we deal with all of that so that it is no longer a distraction between ourselves and our spiritual life, both with Jesus and each other. Our New Testament reading was at first problematic for me. And because it seemed it seemed like Paul was writing in a way that was very prejudiced against the Cretans. I think that we can reframe it this way. Titus is there to fix a problem, much like um, a CEO or a military leader would be sent into a unit that is really a mess and, and told to clean it up. And so I read this then, I choose to read this, and yes, some of the language is problematic, but I choose to read this as Paul telling Titus, yes, I see what you have to work with, and it is difficult. I get it. These people, they are just tough. And here is how I recommend that you fix this. And his recommendation is definitely within the patriarchal structure of his context and time. But I think what we can see here is not something that we should choose to directly and literally apply to our organizations, but we should see as within his context kind of a recipe to get things straight in this church. And so the lesson that I take from this is in this Lenten season, let's get things straight. Let's fix the issues that we've got. It kind of goes along with fixing the internal issues that we have or allow, this is the better way to say that, allowing God to do his work, his healing work. So Lord, however that looks, within my home, myself, my church, my work, do your healing work. Get us in order. Let us be instruments of organization and peace so that we can move all those structures of which we are part, all those communities in which we are present closer to you. Let's get things in order during this Lent. I feel like there's a there's some language there that might be problematic to you guys, but 
just ask for the filter and translation because that's the best that I can do at the mo- at the moment. That Lent is a time to get things ready for the next level with Christ, for the resurrection. We go through the Lenten season to prepare. Maybe that God prepare us in this time. Maybe that's the best way to say it. And finally, the beautiful message of our gospel, to distill it down to what I took from this this morning. Jesus is coming. We are preparing the way for him. And so I guess the New Testament reading makes sense. All of this makes sense as it comes together. I hope it's gelling for you too. For me, it certainly is. Christ is coming. We are preparing for him. Praise God. Amen. The General Thanksgiving on page 101. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And, we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We live without fear, for our Creator has made us holy, has always protected us, and loves us as a good mother loves her children. We go now in peace to follow the good road, and may God's blessing be with us always. Amen.